0: Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. I was recently talking to Brian Shefflin, who has a MSW degree and has done psychotherapy for many years, about the large number of patients who have problems related to internet and electronic gaming. For many of them, it is an addiction. I asked and he kindly accepted to come talk to us about it. Sir, thank you so much for being
1: with us. Yes, my
0: pleasure. In preparation for today, I did some reading and I see that the number of people with what is commonly now being called an Internet Gaming Disorder, at least in children, is upwards of 10%. It's hard to get an exact number because many people do it and we don't know about it. Let's begin with this, sir. Can we go so far as to say that people are addicted to electronic gaming?
1: I would say that it's a national, maybe international epidemic of addiction going on. It has definitely disrupt people's lives. They are powerless over it, and not only for the young patient, but their families as well. What is an addiction? We hear the term used so much. People say, I'm addicted to food. Then
0: you hear they're addicted to heroin. What is an addiction from a psychopathologic
1: perspective, from your perspective. Yes. Well, I have four components that define addiction first, and and there are others as well. But for my use, I utilize these four components. The first component is that the person receives some pleasure, whether the pleasure is for five minutes, an hour, a day, there's pleasure received. The second component, that there's an obsession, that they're thinking about it, it's on their mind, it takes over their thinking. That pretty much can be like throughout the day. The third component is a loss of control. For example, using alcohol daily. So we have, so far, pleasure. We have this obsession, this thinking that occurs, this loss of control, the behavior. And then the final is denial. And the denial is not that they don't realize there's a problem, but the severity, uh, how that's affecting their job, their family, their own personal health as well. So that's my diagnosing is utilizing those four components. It's a very interesting segue then because one of the issues is denial.
0: We've both been in the mental health business long enough to know that many people deny the intensity of their problems. In so many ways, however, and I think this is what complicates it and why I'm so pleased to be talking to you about this, is that using electronic games has become almost normative. How often is it that the parents or perhaps the person themselves come to you for help? What is Is there a, a standard, more or less, anticipated mechanism when they call up and say, I need help? What, what's a bit of your oversight on this?
1: The format that I use when I receive calls from parents is that I meet with the parents first, and I get to hear a detailed uh, history of their child and also what's been going on in the family. It's to have an adult conversation. The patient, the child, isn't present. The second session is with the child, but the presenting problem is very complicated. It's, it's not just watching the or playing the internet game. It's not doing their homework. It's not cleaning their room, being disrespectful. It's not eating and not personal hygiene. The severity on a continuum for mild, moderate, severe. The presenting problem can be the gaming, but there's also many other problems that go with it. Once I meet with the family and meet with the children, I'm able to develop a treatment plan and it is a must that the parents are involved. I so agree with you on that. You touch
0: on a subject that is critical and that's the comorbidity. If someone has a symptom, it's usually that there are other things attached to it. Is the gaming a singular issue or is it often attached to depressions or personality disorders or anxiety disorders? How would you blend all this?
1: It is attached. We do see depression and anxiety in all the cases of somebody who has an addiction. Anxiety is fear, fear of your survival. So when you have all this pressure to do schoolwork and to be um, in a certain place and all these demands, it creates this sort of fear. And the child has not learned how to do two things yet, and that's part of their development. The two things, one is to self-soothe, to learn that skill, that trait, and to feel soothed by others, parents and teachers. So the gaming, we know, releases huge amount of dopamine there is a, there's the thrill, the excitement, there's the connection with other people, other children. So particularly for the child who may have some social anxiety, would feel much more comfortable sitting in their room alone, but interacting with other kids playing the game. I see the problem is that they're not able to be successful in their daily life and anxiety enters and over anxiety, continuous anxiety can cause what I see a secondary depression. When people come to you, It would seem that it's,
0: shall we say, a couple steps up the ladder in terms of acknowledging there is a problem. For lack of another term, we'll use the first responders. These are the school teachers. These are the friends, the clergy, other people. How should a first responder respond if someone comes up to a teacher and says, hey, I have a problem with gambling, or my mom says I have a problem in gambling? What advice would you give to the teacher on how to interdict or intervene or Proceed.
1: The child or adolescent I, I would think would never say I have a problem with gaming or internet use. What it would be is that my parents are always on my back. I can't seem to do my homework. I don't have time to socialize. There'll be those other problems, as I mentioned earlier, in their life. But the gaming has become their solution. So in the addiction model, we see people with using alcohol excessively, uh, drugs, spending money, sex. In some ways, we know that that's their problem. But I turn it and let them know that that's become their solution. Their solution to their feeling anxious, their solution to their low self-esteem, their solution to not being in a happy marriage. The gaming is just one of, well, it's a crossover from other addictions. Sometimes not so much in children, but we do may see it in adults that could have more than one addiction. We don't see the child or the adolescent kind of acknowledge the gaming the problem. It's usually their relationship with their parents and other the factors that they should be doing in their life that they're not doing. I love the concept of soothing it
0: just makes sense. They're looking for something to soothe, and when they're gaming, they're also not directly interacting with people, but they're getting some social interaction. That must be difficult at times to acknowledge, discover, describe, and and, and fix.
1: How I help people understand this soothing concept is first explain what is fear, what is anxiety. So the child From birth to early 20s, that's the period of time the brain is developing, that all those synapses come together, and they manage all the stresses of life. But every activity, every event is stressful, is fearful. Learning how to walk, talk, feed yourself, clean yourself, making friends, successful at tests, going on the dating world, moving out. So all those activities, all those events are very stressful. Fear is an instinct. It tells us when we're in danger. Now, we have to learn how to overcome or manage that fear. Well, we overcome it by those two traits, self-soothing and feeling soothed by others, which is the role of the parents. So in essence, the child has to be taught how to do those. So the history is very important, going back to why I meet with the parents. If there's alcoholism with the parents, if there's depression, anxiety, marital problems, there's not going to be much soothing going on in that home. Electronics is a way of life. There's no way a child can function without electronics. I mean, their schoolwork, their phone, their relationships, social activities. So when they're introduced to these electronics, and I have to note that when I raised my kids, when we took them to restaurants, we brought coloring books and crayons. Now I see all these little children in the restaurants with their their little iPads and their phone playing games. Mom and the dad are off talking. You know, it's sort of soothing to that child. So the gaming becomes very soothing. and, And we see on studies that the huge amount of dopamine that's released in the brain during these activities.
0: And that is perhaps the physiologic sequelae of the addiction.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, it it does work. It it gives them pleasure, no doubt about it. So much that they become powerless. So if you are familiar with the 12-step model, step one will say, I am powerless over food, sex, drugs, alcohol, gaming, and my life has become unmanageable. That's another way of defining addiction.
0: One of the problems we have in contemporary society is that we much too rapidly go to medications to treat these things. From your perspective, might there be a role for medication or is it primarily cognitive psychotherapeutic approach to really fix it? Alcoholics Anonymous is to a very large degree psychological. Sometimes people need medicine, sometimes not, but more more of it psychological. Your thoughts on this?
1: Basically, utilizing the biopsychosocial and I also add spiritual model. I agree with that. I so agree with that. So the biological. So we have to evaluate that. We can't dismiss the medical problem of depression. So we have to assess that. So to answer your question, medicine would be indicated, but that would just be one part of the solution. For many years, my treatment model was more of a, what I would call a positive parenting approach. Little or no attention for the negative behavior and a lot of attention for the positive behavior. Going back, game, isn't just a problem. It's not doing their homework. It's not brushing their teeth. It's not making their bed. So I would develop a list of expected behaviors or activities and the child would not have any electronics that would be taken away and they would earn their electronic time they did their 10 activities for the day, they may get an hour. That is more focusing rather than taking it away on a daily basis, they could earn it on a daily basis. Now that model has been disputed. I went to a recent workshop on gaming and the, Dr. Sussman, who developed some research, he has a different approach and that's basically regulating the dopamine. He doesn't believe in, in taking away or using gaming as a positive reinforcer. The model basically is you teach the child how to learn behaviors that have low dopamine activity, such as reading or writing or exercise, and then you give them the opportunity to game, and that produces a higher level of dopamine. So basically, you're teaching the child how to regulate their dopamine levels in the brain, how to manage life, all the activities that's required. So I switched to that model. The child can have electronic time, but at the same time also need to do their homework and clean their room and, you know, spend time with their parents. So obviously the, the cognitive behavioral model is there.
0: Are you seeing this problem in adults as well as teenagers and? And young adults, are you seeing people in their 40s and 50s? Any sense of that?
1: In my anecdotal experience of 30 years, I'll see some young adults in their 20s, and occasionally there's still gaming going on, but most of them not. What I do see is the other addictions, the alcohol and the drugs and sex, shopping. So those are more prevalent. And when you do your history, you see that addiction or the early use of a substance was occurring, even as early as age 12 or 30. So basically, the earlier someone starts their use, the more prevalent that it could occur later in life, plus the culture they come from. And we know this is a drinking, drugging population and the environment they're in. I would also think a major variable is
0: the fact that if you're treating teenagers, there is nothing more, shall we say, unstable about where they are developmentally. They go through puberty and so on and so on how much does that complicate your work?
1: Tremendously because that is the developing brain and that's where the most damage can occur. For example, the gaming adolescent hasn't really learned how to self-soothe, interact with others or feel feel sued by others. That really creates that brain to, to lose out on that. As a therapist, we know the concept of neuroplasticity, that the brain can rewire itself. And as long as they're not using or no serious trauma, we can help them rewire their brain to self-soothe and feel soothed by others.
0: Most psychotherapy interactions take time. They take time. I would love if we could do it in a week or two or three. That's just not the way it is. Is this generally speaking a very intense long term project? Is there a sense about that or is it, are there too many variables?
1: We have to include the parent. So they have to be on board. I would say that there could be a turnaround in, in the presenting problem in the acute phase within maybe 10 sessions, 8 to 10 sessions, we could see some improvement, or at least a path of improvement, less use, and maybe even more success at schoolwork and more interaction socially. Now, we know that addiction is not curable. The AA model, you're always an alcoholic, even though you're in recovery and sober for 30 years. You're always reminded of that. In order to have a longevity with with improvement, the person has to continually utilize the behaviors and the way of thinking that help them to soothe themselves and feel soothed by others to keep it a good prognosis. If we don't see any initial turnaround, relapse can occur, and then we're dealing with a population that I called treatment resistant, that they just don't seem to connect with any of the treatment protocols. Even when medicines are brought on board or go to rehab, we, we know people are in and out of rehab. There is a general acceptance in our society that people do have
0: alcohol and drug problems. They've accepted that. And the other issues like gambling and sexual addiction and so on. Again, this is more perhaps your opinion than not, but you, you connect to it. So that's important. Does society except the fact that there is a problem with electronic gaming, that there is an addiction. I mean, you use the word recovery. I would imagine to a lot of people that would be odd because recovery is when you have a narcotic problem or an alcohol problem, but a game, it seems like it hasn't reached our social baseline yet.
1: I would put it in like food addicts. You can't stop them from eating or even sex addicts. Can't stop them from having sex. These are two biological drives that are very pleasurable, and gaming and Internet electronics is here to stay. There's no doubt about it. The gaming industry is number one, and when I learned this, I wasn't surprised that the second industry, in terms of gross income, is pornography. Obviously, there's an addiction component to that. Gaming, and because we live in an electronic world, in fact, this whole podcast is all electronically geared. I mean, uh, how many of us look at our phone 24-7, basically? I'm always looking, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Well, it was in my pocket. I didn't even realize. You know, you can see the need. Now, is that an addiction? Uh, Is that interfering with my life? Probably not, but for some people, their electronics do interfere. They're constantly on it. It's a growing issue in our society, and I'm very
0: glad we have people like you who are working with it and trying to figure it out a little bit more, getting experience, this dealing with this. Is there any bit of advice that you could give, let's say, to a parent who is seeing that this is starting to develop in their children? I realized the old expression, one suggestion does not fit everybody. But is there more or less a common notion of what we can tell to parents who might be seeing this?
1: Common sense will just say try to engage your child in activities that are not or electronically based, such as throwing a ball with your you know child, or maybe baking some cookies, reading together. This is what's good parenting. But we know that parents are relieved. They two parents work and come home. They got to cook dinner and get the homework done, and the child put the child in front of a TV or give him his uh, his gaming, and that makes things a lot easier. I would just call it as, as good parenting, being involved yeah. in your child's life and not letting things, just because it's accepted, let it go. Monitoring, as any good parent should be doing. I have seen
0: people with this problem, and sometimes it can be difficult and challenging, to say the least. But when the family's involved, like you just said, we'll progress is possible. And just don't ignore it. Go back to what you used at the very first, denial.
1: Right. Any treatment of a child or adolescent must include the treatment of the parents. We see many parents enabling their children. They're, in fact, the biggest enablers. You know, the child goes, oh, my, I promised, you know, I'll do my homework. Please let me game. And oh, OK, well, let's rather than set the limit, because, it, again, it's much easier to give in fascinating. Brian Chaplin is a
0: social worker, an MSW degree. He has done psychotherapy for years and years. And we've talked about electronic gaming, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank thank you, you.
1: Thank you very much.